0: Let's pray and get started. Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you brought us to the end of the study of Le- Leviticus. And Lord, not just that you brought us to the end, but you have brought us to the end with a clearer picture of who you are. Your holiness, Lord, but also your grace and your mercy and your love. Thank you, Lord, for this study. Um, thank you for these women who've come to this place. And we ask, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we have come to the end of Leviticus. And I'm so excited to see so many people still here. We've done it. We've studied and we have finished Leviticus. I hope you found it as I have, not just some dusty old law book, but an amazing picture of God's grace and his love. I'm still overwhelmed by the fact that a holy God wants to dwell with a hot mess such as we are. (laughs) And Leviticus was one of the first steps in making that possible. Remember in the introduction, we talked about God coming down on Mount Sinai and giving the Ten Commandments, and the people had to be cleaned up, and they had to be fenced off from the mountain. They couldn't touch it unless they died. And then when they heard his voice, they all ran away, and they said, don't even let him speak to us again unless we die. And then they built a tabernacle and then boom, suddenly there he was right in the middle of the camp. How are they going to deal with it? Well, Leviticus is how. I hope you've also seen as we studied Leviticus, how all of these things point to Jesus, God's best and final solution to the sin problem that we have and how a holy God is going to dwell with a sinful, rebellious people. I'm really looking forward to studying Hebrews next semester because that's what Hebrews is about. So today, we're going to talk about the Sabbath year and the Jubilee for the land and rest. And I'm going to begin by reading a lot of scripture. I'm sorry, I'll apologize in advance, but there's so much in here. We're going to start with Leviticus 21, and I'm going to skip some verses because there is just so much. So follow along if you want to in your Bible. Leviticus 25, 1, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years, you shall sow your field and for six years, you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard you shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourself and for your male and female slaves and for your hired servant and the sojourner who lives with you and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. You shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of the seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall sound the trumpet throughout your land, and you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. Skip down to verse 18. Therefore you shall do my statutes and keep my rules and perform them. And then you will dwell in the land securely. The land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell in it securely. Verse 23, the land shall not be sold in perpetuity for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. Skip down to 39. If your brother becomes poor beside you and sells himself to you, you shall not make him serve as a slave. He shall be with you as a hired worker and a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Then he shall go out from you, he and his children with him, and go back to his own clan and return to the possession of his father's. For they are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt, and they shall not be sold as slaves. Then we're going to look at three more verses, starting with verse 55. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants whom I brought out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall not make idols for yourselves, or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So as we studied the book of Leviticus, one of the things that struck me was the sheer busyness of it all. It seemed like people must have always been trying to be clean and thinking about being clean and thinking about staying clean and thinking about ways to get clean again after they become unclean. If they followed the directions, they must have been continually bringing sin sacrifices to the door of the tent of meeting. It seemed like the priests must have been continually buzzing around the sanctuary, butchering animals and sprinkling blood and roasting lambs and keeping the fire going and burning incense. It seemed like things were always happening. I actually went to the book of Numbers this week, and looked at the sheer number of animals that were sacrificed each year. The daily, monthly, and holiday sacrifices. These are just the required sacrifices. And I was using a very conservative estimate of the number of Passover lambs, given the size of the population. For that many people, and it was probably actually more animals than this, 52,000 animals were sacrificed every year. That is a line of sheep standing nose to tail, picture them along the highway, from the Mississippi River out past Rossville. That's a lot of animals. And that doesn't even count the individual animals for the sin sacrifices or the dedication offerings. It's exhausting. But in the middle of all this busyness and blood, God has commanded his people to rest. So I also counted up the days of rest. The Israelites were required to take 71 days every year to rest. That's 10 weeks of rest. That's a lot of time. And plus, as we read this week, every seventh year, they had a whole year of rest, the Sabbath rest for the land. Remember, they were farmers. So when the land rested, they rested. And then... Every 50 years, at least once in everybody's lifetime, there would be two consecutive years of rest, the Sabbath year and then the Jubilee year. That's a lot of rest. And it was a gracious gift from the Lord. Every 50 years, freedom was proclaimed throughout the land. And it was a day of second chances, a day when everything was reset and everything started over again. The great day of atonement had come. The sacrifices had been made. The sin goat had been slain. The scapegoat had been taken away into the wilderness. The high priest would come out and announce, your sins are completely forgiven and God's wrath has been completely carried away. And then the trumpet would sound and the year of jubilee was proclaimed throughout the land. People were returned to their homes. People's possessions were returned to them. Slavery was done away with for a year. Those who had fallen on hard times could start over. It was a wonderful gift from the Lord. The slate wiped clean and things beginning anew. And they were to begin with a year of rest. I read a good sermon about Jubilee this week. um, And this was quoted, although the source wasn't credited. So I don't know who actually came up with this. It was a good Baptist preacher because there's a lot of alliteration in it. Jubilee began on the day of atonement. It began in repentance. It was centered in release. It required remittance of debt. It involved restoration. It brought about reunion. It meant relying on God. It was a time of rejoicing. And it provided rest. is that a wonderful summary of Jubilee? All gracious gifts from a gracious God. So... Israel was required to rest when their land rested because they were farmers. But we aren't farmers. So what does this have to do with us? We don't celebrate the Sabbath year or the Jubilee. Those were rules for the Old Testament land, the promised land, when Israel was there. How does it apply to us? Well, Jesus had some things to say about that. Near the beginning of his public ministry, he spoke of the Jubilee He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was reading Isaiah 61, 2. And the year of the Lord's favor refers to the year of Jubilee. He was saying, I am in here. I'm here to usher in what Jubilee typified. I'm here to bring you your Jubilee. Think about it. Our Jubilee begins with the day of atonement, Christ's sacrifice for our sin, the covering of our sin. It begins with repentance When we're given the ability to see our sin and turn to the Lord for forgiveness, it's centered in release. We're released from bondage to sin. It involves restoration, restoration of the fellowship that we should have had with God but had given up because of sin. It brings about reunion. We are now not God's enemies but his children. It required remittance of debt. It required the sin debt to be paid, and Christ paid that for us. It means relying on God. Now, we rely on God. It's a time of rejoicing. We're full of joy because we have been reunited, and it provides rest, trusting in Christ, all gracious gifts from a gracious God. So... Knowing rest is different than experiencing rest. Let's look at some of the lessons the Lord was teaching Israel during the year of Jubilee and the Sabbath year and see what he was teaching them and see if it can apply to us. The Lord was teaching Israel to depend on him, to trust that he would provide food enough for them to survive. They were not to be anxious or fearful or sneak out in the middle of the night and plant seeds when nobody was watching, they were to trust that he was gonna provide for them and that he would keep his promise. So who are we depending on? Are we depending on what we can provide for ourselves? Are we depending on our government or some kind of social network to take care of us? What happens when a job is lost or when there's a sudden major expense in your family or when the economy crashes? Who are we depending on? Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and our needs will be met. We can rest by getting our priorities straight, seeking first the kingdom of God, and trusting in the Lord's care and provision for our needs. This is making a crashing noise. Rest is not just a passive thing. I think we tend to think of rest as a passive thing. Rest is actively trusting in the Lord to meet our needs. So the Lord was also teaching Israel that he's the creator and owner of everything. The land, the animals, the people. They were only stewards who were to work and rest as the Lord directed. To be responsible caretakers under their master's command. How do we feel about that? Do we think our possessions really belong to us? What about our time? What about our talents? Are we seeking the Lord's direction? Are we acting as stewards or owners? What does your calendar look like? How about your checkbook? Jesus talked a lot about possessions and money and how money becomes an idol. He talked about stewardship and reward. We can rest by holding our things with an open hand, by open to God, being open to God's leading for our time and our talents. The Lord was teaching Israel to be thankful for their blessings. It's one thing to read that everything comes from the Lord. It's another thing to live it out every 7 years and live it out on steroids every 50 years. We're thankful to God for many blessings. Are we, or do we take them for granted? Do we receive them with gratitude, or are we striving really hard to earn them? Are we content with what the Lord has given us, or are we grumbling like the Israelites were in the desert? Jesus taught a lot about gratitude and the goodness of God. We can rest in being thankful to a God who is good and who gives us what is good for us. The Lord was teaching Israel to share with their neighbors and to care for them. Anyone could eat from anyone else's land during the Jubilee. Jubilee was Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself, lived out. Do we care for our neighbors? Do we have a heart for the poor as much as God has a heart for the poor? What about the alien, the stranger in the land? What about the illegal alien in the land? What about the deserving poor versus the lazy poor? Do we tend to put people in categories? Jesus taught about caring for our neighbors, even our enemies. We can rest by sharing God's love with the needy world. The Lord was teaching Israel to find their security in him. He promises twice in chapter 25 and 26 that if they keep their Sabbaths, they will live in peace and security. The world today is a very scary place. There's terrorism and crime and crazy people with automatic weapons. To whom do we look for security? Are we counting on the police force or the army? Are we counting on the Department of Homeland Security to protect us? Are we trusting in gated communities or concealed carry permits? Only the Lord can truly protect us, and he will protect us until it's time to call us home, where we will live in perfect security forever. We're eternally secure in Christ. All of our days are numbered, and we can rest in that. The Lord was teaching Israel that this earth is not their home. Every Sabbath year and every Jubilee, they lived as sojourners on the land neither planting nor pruning nor harvesting. I think there's a saying we hear sometimes, she's so heavenly-minded, she's of no earthly good. And I think that is a lie straight from the devil. I don't think it's possible to be too heavenly-minded. Jesus taught us to lay off treasures in heaven. I think the truth is we're actually so earthly-minded, we're of not much heavenly good. <laughs> Where do our thoughts dwell? What do we think about all day long? What are our hopes and our dreams? What entertains us? Whose approval are we seeking, man's or God's? Are we trying to make this world our home? It's not our home. We can rest by laying up treasures in heaven, keeping our mind on heavenly things and pursuing eternal things. The Lord was teaching Israel to worship. I read a good definition of worship and I'd never really thought about it this way. Ray Stedman says this Worship is not simply bowing our heads and letting some kind of pious thoughts run vaguely through our minds. Worship happens when we lay hold of who God really is. Isn't that a good definition? The Lord was teaching Israel who He really is. Do we know who God really is? Are we trusting that He is who He says He is? What a picture of God we've seen in Leviticus this semester! We can rest knowing and trusting that God is who He says He is as He's revealed Himself in Scripture. Rest is not a, positive, a passive condition. Rest is actively trusting in the Lord. Did Israel rest in the Lord? No, they didn't. Chapter 25 is followed by chapter 26. How many people hated reading chapter 26? That was awfully depressing. Um, There's a great list of blessings for obedience, followed by what was going to happen to them when they disobeyed. God had redeemed Israel from slavery to be their God and dwell with them in the land. He promised them paradise, another Garden of Eden. If only they would do two things, not worship idols and keep the Sabbaths. Seems so easy, doesn't it? Sadly, it wasn't. Um, the fall reaches deeper and further than any of us can even imagine. We know from scripture, they immediately started worshiping idols when they went into the land. And although they did keep the weekly Sabbath, there's no biblical record that they ever kept the Sabbath year or the Jubilee. And in fact, Second Chronicles seems to suggest that they didn't. Second Chronicles, um, the last chapter, chapter 36, talks about the fall of Jerusalem and the taking away of the Jews into Babylonian captivity. And the very last verse in that chapter, last verse of the last chapter, says this. It was to, f- to fulfill the word of the Lord by the prophet Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath." to fulfill 70 years. That goes right back to Leviticus. It's almost a direct quote from Leviticus 26. God made the land keep Sabbath by removing the people from it. Every one of those curses fell on their head during the time of the Babylonian captivity leading up to and during that time. But God, but God, I hope you saw the promise In verses 44 and 45. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them. Neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. So, after the 70 years of discipline, exile in Babylon, the Lord rose up a king, Cyrus of Persia, who allowed the Israelites to return to the promised land. God did not forsake them or destroy them utterly, but returned them to the promised land, just as he said he would do. And there, they waited for the Messiah, the one who would truly usher in the Jubilee. And when he did, many of them believed. I chose Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30 as the memory verse for this week and I want to close with it. Jesus said this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I'll close by asking you, have you gone to him for rest? Are you loving him by obeying him? Because that is where true rest is found. And that is how a sinful, rebellious people can live in the presence of a holy God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, you are holy beyond what we can imagine. And we are sinful beyond what we can imagine. And yet you've said that you desire to live with us, to be our God, and for us to be your children. You've chosen us from all the people of the earth and you've provided a way for this to happen through the sacrifice of your beloved son, our Lord Jesus. In Jesus, you've given us redemption and you've given us restoration and you've given us rest. Help us, Lord, to see your beauty and your holiness and help us to see the beauty and the holiness of Jesus. Lord, help us to actively pursue holiness and obedience, which is what you desire and what will give us the rest we desire. Father, we thank you for your great gift in Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.